Welcome back, everyone, to the Together Thriving podcast. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Dahlia Kinsey. And today, we'll be talking about restoring self-trust and leaning on your intuition to direct your wellness journey. Welcome to the Together Thriving podcast. We're your hosts, Sarah and Valeria. Together Thriving started as a virtual wellness summit for women and femmes of color by women and femmes of color. We created Together Thriving because after years of being wellness coaches, we realized there was a severe lack of representation in the wellness industry. Black, indigenous, and people of color wellness experts don't get featured or highlighted as much as we should in this industry. So we figured, why not build our own table? We started this podcast to uplift and empower women and femmes of color with wellness resources, knowledge, and a safe healing community so that we can get out of the fight or flight mode and truly thrive in our day-to-day. Women and femmes of color live at the intersection of two marginalized identities, that of our gender and that of our race and ethnicity. Additionally, the intersection of cultural identity and wellness is rarely, if ever, featured in the spotlight. This is why representation matters. We want this podcast to be a platform where the voices of women and femmes of color in the wellness industry are amplified and where our community can find resources that speaks to their wellness needs. So without further ado, here we go. I'm going to do a little introduction of our special guest for today. I'm very happy to have Dahlia here. So Dahlia is a decolonized wellness and body image coach and the creator of the Body Liberation for All podcast. It's a show dedicated to amplifying the health and happiness of QT BIPOC folks. And uh, Dahlia is on a mission to spread joy, reduce suffering, and eliminate health disparities in the QT BIPOC community. Uh, Dahlia rejects diet culture and teaches people to use nutrition and self-care and and personal empowerment tools to counter uh, the damage of systemic oppression. Welcome, Dahlia. We're so happy to have you on the podcast. Do you want to do an introduction uh, and share a little bit about your story? And uh, we'll go from there. (laughs) Sure. Thanks for having me. It's, It's interesting. My journey to becoming a dietitian started because I knew I wanted to help people who were not getting equal access to healthcare. But initially, I thought that meant that I wanted to work with women and children. And I was initially thinking cis women of color. But the primary focus in my nutrition program was always weight management and being in a larger body was constantly demonized as the root cause of all kinds of differences and health outcomes. But the deeper I got into my studies, especially after graduation and after completing the internship to become a dietitian, I realized that that is just not true. That so much of the disparities boil down to being treated poorly day in and day out as marginalized people and that the weight is neither here nor there. If anything, the weight is frequently a symptom of people looking for ways to cope with their high levels of stress. And even the idea that being in a bigger body is bad has racist origin. And only you can decide 
what size body is appropriate for, for you and for your, the things that you love to do. So it isn't that, you know, wanting to be able to get around and live your life and go hiking if that's what you love is a bad thing and that you can't care about the size of your body. But this obsessive focus on policing black and brown bodies, it's just not connected to health promotion. And I think we've all seen recently that there's really no reason to believe the dominant white culture when uh, it says, hey, we're here to help you. I mean, when has that ever Mm -hmm. been true? When has it ever been true? So at this point, I've focused on wellness practices that help people connect to themselves and fully accept themselves. And diet culture is just not it. I love that the focus that that you bring. I love that that focus is on connect like reconnecting with like your body and like what your body knows because there's so much wisdom there like our intuition Mm -hmm. like you know there's so much that we need to learn in terms of like intuition and like what that tells us when it comes to like our body and our health so I love that that's the approach that you take in your practice and when you're working with clients it just feels Right. And I know in the past when I dieted per, before I started studying to become a dietitian and during when I was fully under the the spell of diet culture and white supremacy <laughs> culture for that matter, that it never felt natural. Like it always felt like a strain. Whereas even though it feels like work, learning to listen to my body sometimes, it feels like I'm recapturing something that was lost, not like I'm out here trying to do something that just isn't intuitive and isn't natural or sustainable. It's interesting when you say like it feels more like work to listen to your body. Like, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like, I'm just kind of curious to hear what that means to you. Yeah, I just think everything in the U.S. anyway, is geared toward telling folks of color and femme presenting people that they don't know what they know. And so the Mm -hmm. concept that I am the one who knows when I should eat, how much I should eat, it just feels like it doesn't connect to the last 20 years of socialization that I received. So knowing that if my body is not accepting meat, for example, like lately, it's just not into it. (laughs) But also knowing that that doesn't mean that I have to jump on some other bandwagon that's kind of driven by the patriarchy that once again will hijack the decision making. So it feels right for me to be eating plant-based right now, but that doesn't mean that I need to like go full-blown vegan and label myself and spend time with folks that are going to diminish my identity in other ways and then tell me there's only one right way to eat a plant-based diet. Just understanding that I am the authority, it feels like a responsibility at the Mm -hmm. same time that it feels empowering. It feels like more work psychologically. Whereas with dieting, you're outsourcing decision-making. And at first it feels enticing because it feels like you're taking something off of your plate. Like, oh, this is going to make everything more simple because I have this food list. When in reality, Mm -hmm. because it is so restrictive and because it doesn't work with your body, it only feels like 
you feel a sense of elation at the beginning of the diet when you're so hopeful that this is going to solve all your problems and it's going to save you all this time. And then as you start to feel the conflict, then it starts to drain you because you have to keep using your decision-making energy to stay on this plan that has nothing to do with what your body is actually asking for. Mm, That's so true. I'm like, when I know a lot of, so like I'm also in the nutrition space and in the past, like a lot of my clients have said, Oh, like if only I were more disciplined or if only I had more willpower when in reality, like it shouldn't take this huge amount of willpower to just like decide what to eat. Like think of, um, you know, our ancestors didn't have to like ruminate like in their heads for hours. I'm like, Hmm, should I really have that today? Or like, should I have the other thing? It's like, it goes against our nature and what our bodies are telling us when, you know, and that's what diet culture wants at the end of the day. Like it wants us to disconnect from that deeper inner knowing and that deeper wisdom that we hold like inside our body, literally. And our ancestors also had way less choices for how to nourish themselves. And even now people who live in other countries, when they visit the U S They're like, what is up with all of these choices when they go to the grocery store? They're Mm -hmm. like 30 different kinds of bread. Like what the, which one should I eat? What's the difference? What is all the shit? (laughs) It's a lot. And when you think about all the other things you have to juggle in your life, it really is a drain when it becomes this decision you have to make rather than just following what your gut is telling you. I mean, that's where it becomes a drain. And what's interesting is that people don't trust that their body will tell them the right thing. Mm-hmm. But what, while you're detangling yourself from dieting or even low key dieting, a lot of people who aren't on an official diet still have a list of good and bad foods in their head. And that's in air quotes, because in reality, what's good for you and what's good for someone else, it may not be the same. So how can we really say, what is always good and always bad. So like, for example, if somebody has a lot of digestive problems, a high fiber diet for them could be an absolute disaster and a no-no. A high fiber Mm -hmm. diet for me is a dream. It feels right. And especially lately when I've been keeping a diary of exactly how I felt before the meal, during the meal, after the meal, I pretty much just want vegetables all the time and just mm-hmm. chickpeas. I don't know what the chickpea <laughs> obsession is about. I can relate to not, that. I love chickpeas. I had chickpeas today. I'm going to have them for dinner. That's what I'm going to have for dinner. That's so funny. <laughs> it's, a, it's really like an obsession. Like they make jokes at work that I'm always trying to put them on the menu. And they're like, you're the only one who wants those. I, I don't believe that's true, but... Well, you've got two other accept. people here who want <laughs> yeah. validating. We, we support you. We support you. <laughs> well, and We're you all on the something interesting train. here because, like, that changes too with like you know seasons of the year, like whatever period of life you're in, seasons of the year, mm-hmm. right? And I love that you, like, you said like you're the authority. Like that's so empowering, and it's definitely not something that you hear a lot of in the nutrition space. So it's so refreshing to hear that and like remind yourself of that but you're right I can I can understand now why you kind of refer to it as work because it's true like 
trying to like connect back to your intuition and also like unlearning like that's a lot mm. right you have to be very self-aware like be patient with yourself and like the it, patience yeah, takes, is the yeah. key like before the call Valerie and I were sorry Valeria and I were saying that so many people have been conditioned to want fast solutions. And when you look for a coach or a nutritionist to work with, you're looking for someone who promises to fix you. But that is just not the reality of how life works or how our bodies work. And in the West, we're frequently sold solutions that will make you feel very different, let's say in a couple of weeks, a pill or some very dramatic, intense plan that's not sustainable. But it's not sustainable, or it has only suppressed some symptoms. It hasn't created true transformation. True transformation takes time. And when you look at all indigenous healing practices, you never are transformed overnight. That's not a thing. And even people now, I see a lot of people who are steeped in white supremacy culture, but who are interested in healing and spirituality, when they distill down these indigenous practices and like they say they modernize them, which means, you know, whitewash them, (laughs) distill them, kind of strip them of their nuance that frequently turns into something like this is the magical cure. And when you become spiritually enlightened, like everything's going to be balanced. You're going to eat in a way that uplifts you and everything's going to be great. And we can fix you in this one weekend. There's a sweat lodge. It's going to be great. That, But that's not how it works. That's just maybe every now and then someone will recount a story of how they had an epiphany and it was like the light bulb went off and they were changed forever. But just because that's the moment that they remember when they really shifted gears, that doesn't mean that it didn't take years Mm -hmm. for them to come across the experiences that they needed to be able to have that epiphany. Healing never happens overnight. That's not a thing. Well, and you bring up an important point too of like, it's not just the highs, right? And so when like, that's the only thing that you're exposed to, like, whether it's like marketing, like any kind of resources, then as soon as you experience a low, which like, it's normal to go through ups and downs, you're just like, oh, something's wrong with me. Like, I'm doing something wrong. Like, why can't I figure it out? And then that's where it's like the, why am I not disciplined enough for like all the, all that mindset, right? self-blame yeah Um, yeah Yeah, and you're really encouraged to blame yourself because if if it's not your fault then what does that mean that we need like global systemic god forbid we blame like you know capitalism or patriarchy or white supremacy or like all those (laughs) systems of oppression that literally have (laughs) kept us down like oh no it's (laughs) so funny keeps coming up for me like at the beginning of the pandemic i kept thinking like oh my goodness we're in a movie this is the start of the zombie apocalypse like this is literally how i am legend starts right in my head anyway (laughs) i know it wasn't the same but i have been thinking more and more about how that in the west like that's the nightmare that the patriarchy will be gone that capitalism will crumble but if you really think about it what's so scary about people once again having to live in smaller communities Mm. where we live off the land in a sustainable way, where we basically re-indigenize the land. Where's the nightmare? Where's the nightmare? And the only 
this year finally clicked like, oh, that's their nightmare. <laughs> that is because even true, the way yeah. it's portrayed, the the um, assumption that all these cis men, all they would do all day is just look for people to rape and abuse. What? Are, who? Who are these men that they have met? We know that thanks to misogyny and the patriarchy that yes sexual assault and disrespect of c- cis women and all femmes is really a problem but would it continue to be such a problem if we indigenize the land and reclaim the land think about all the matriarchal constructs that existed in indigenous cultures prior to colonization like what are the chances that like that's all bands of men would do but that is part of this fear like if you give up this system all of your safety will be gone and you'll you'll all suffer like it doesn't matter if you're suffering right now don't worry if you give out give up this system it'll be so much worse for you and that fear kind of follows us into all areas of life and it's really difficult to let go of these things that have presented have been presented to us for years as this is the only way that you can access safety. You can't trust your body. You must go to someone else to tell you how to deal with your body. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. I feel like if there's one thing that I want to take away from like today's conversation, it's like that reminder of like, trust your body because that is like a way of like relearning to feel safe within your body. I love that. And there's so many levels to it because anybody knows, like, whether you're assigned female at birth or whether you are a femme presenting person or you're a trans person who's femme, you know that your physical safety is something you think about a lot. And a mm. lot of people's sense of safety in their body size is linked. So whether it's because when you're at a lower body weight, it's easier for you to be clocked as the gender you want to be clocked as, or whether it's because you've been through assault or you survived some kind of trauma, you feel safer in a bigger body. I mean, these are things that typically are not going to be addressed by people pushing diet culture because the only value there is that you must shrink the body because we've decided mm-hmm. this is the body hierarchy. Small bodies are better than big bodies. And no one will address the fact that a lot of times we will hang on to weight because it is doing something for us. And until we either find another way to meet that need or just accept that we feel more comfortable at this larger weight, nothing's going to change, but we'll create all this anxiety and additional stress around eating and yo-yo dieting is really hard on the body and it will shorten your lifespan. And that is one thing that I can promise you you will experience if you diet, especially if you are a person of color, because there's so many other stressors in your life. You're going to get to a point where you don't have the capacity to pour the energy into maintaining this artificial restriction. And then you're going to be off of it. And then you're going to go in the opposite direction. And that's going to create more anxiety and stress for you if you still are suffering with this ideal that you're going to be less acceptable if your body is larger. 
I love that you're talking about like the mental health side of yo-yo dieting too, because I feel like that's not something a lot of people touch on, but it is such an important thing because like making decisions can be inherently stressful regardless of what those decisions are, but even more so when they're about our food and our body and like our view, it kind of, you know, tends to affect like our view on ourselves based off of like those decisions and does it fall within the quote unquote good or bad of that yoga diet, like whatever, you know, that diet says is good or bad. When in reality, like there's no really, like you said, there's no right or wrong for everyone. Like it's very individual based off of like the actual person. Like yeah. what's right for me might not be right for you, might not be right for Sarah. Mm-hmm. Um And what's right for your life and the reality of where you live. You know, if you're going to have to dedicate extra hours to food prep or to traveling to a grocery store that has acceptable fresh produce, do you really have the capacity for that? Mm -hmm. And if that's really what you're craving, that's what you want. You have the bandwidth for it, then sure. That's great. But we've seen how, Certain foods have been demonized and you can feel the classism in the foods that are considered unacceptable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like frozen fruit foods and like canned foods and a lot of like people in the health industry will be like, never eat canned, like so bad. And it's like, okay, well, some people don't like cannot buy fresh produce. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And canning has been around for at least a hundred years. Yeah. So everyone drawing this false connection between processed food and larger bodies. I'm just not seeing it. When, if you're going to classify everything in a package as, you know, the problem when our grandparents canned food. Yeah. yeah. I mean, so it's much like- of what we're seeing is you almost can't be physically active in today's society in the West. If you're living, if you went to school, like everybody told you, you needed to go to school and you work at a desk, you know, I mean, even think about simple things like garage openers, you used to have to open the garage yourself. Like every, so many (laughs) things have changed Yeah, and we just naturally move less. So that's part of it. But I also believe that we're exposed to so much more anxiety provoking experiences and content, Mm -hmm. even though we know, like, I think about people who lived through the first major civil rights movement and no doubt it was horrible because to this day, nobody wants to give me a recap, you know, of my family, like nobody wants to even talk (laughs) about what it was like for them when they had to integrate, you know, their school, even though a lot of them went through that, they're just like, "Mm, let's talk about anything else. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because their communities were still segregated, they spent their time with folks having the same lived experience as them. And they weren't online all day seeing how other people in neighboring towns or across the country were being abused for sharing the same identities. And then because they hadn't started, you think about everything you're told about where these disparities are coming from. People keep saying, at least here in the States, that, oh, it's the income gap. It's the wage gap. That That's the problem. Make more money and all your health problems are just going to poof, disappear. Just 
But what usually happens is the more money you make, the more likely you are to feel like you can't continue living shoulder to shoulder with people who share your lived experience. Because not everybody's moving forward at the same time economically because of systemic problems. So let's say you, you know, you beat the odds and you move to the other side of the tracks. Are you going to have more community there or less? Are you going to have more people you can talk to about what's stressing you out or less? Are you going to have more hostile encounters with people in a day or less? So how much... (laughs) How much is that really helping? It's just really offensive that that is um, what's constantly blamed because really the issue is that people haven't decided to fully reject bullying people for being themselves and haven't decided to reject racism and homophobia and transphobia. And it makes people ill anytime you other them, anytime you disconnect them from community and spaces where they can feel safe and at home. And I think that's something that more people had access to in the 60s, especially in the Black American community, because there were larger communities of folks with other Black folks. And that's not as much of a thing these days. I love that you bring community into this conversation, because of course, we... (laughs) love talking about that and I mean it's how we also met you uh, which is incredible and I you know I think in the last year too that conversation around community has now been like how can we foster that online as well and like hopefully you know I I mean even though the world is reopening slowly I'm in Canada you guys you're, you're both in the states but even so like I think it's important to continue to find ways to like feel connected online as well Mm so yeah and I can you know I can say how much that's helped my mental health in the last year but also a lot of the things that you speak about Dahlia like um and I remember when uh, if you know if you didn't know Dahlia was one of the speakers at the 2020 Together Thriving um summit and your talk there was so much about it that like resonated and I was and I found a lot of peace with my own body and I find that you know like with the pandemic and like everyone's been I hear a lot of conversations around bodies having been like changing in the last year right with like being at home more all the stress right so I think bringing this conversation to the table is so important and just like that reminder too of like being in community to continue to foster that sense of safety but also being validated and being heard and being able to speak out about um, your stresses that you're experiencing, like super important to talk about that, about that. So yeah, that's, that's such a great reminder. And I love that it is possible to really create community long distance. I know I'm showing my age that when <laughs> I was in college and I was in a sociology class where they were talking about secondary and primary relationships. And there was a question about whether or not you could form primary relationships online. And based on the definition, I thought, well, no. And at the time, I'd never met any of my internet friends in real life. And it just didn't seem 
like it was possible. And we weren't doing as much video chat back then. It was all like Mm -hmm. message boards and stuff. (laughs) Uh, But even then they said, well, that's not really what the research is indicating. People are experiencing all the psychological benefits that you get from forming community in person with people online, assuming they're really making connections. The way that a lot of social media platforms have pivoted because they've been commercialized, which I'm sure was the whole plan. But, you know, initially the way a lot of us were using Facebook, for example, it was really just to connect with friends. It was mostly a way to keep in touch with other young people that you'd met. Instead of exchanging phone numbers, you you would just follow each other and get to know each other that way. Whereas now it's more of a, maybe a marketing arm for some of us and maybe more of a, um, it's like an obligation to be there, not necessarily a place where community is formed. And so what I like about the group that we met in, the leader has intentionally made an effort to set community guidelines so that that space can actually be used for real connection. Mm. And it, it's very effective when it's done with intention and the yeah. relief that you get from having community is going to do more to protect your health than a diet ever could. And and you really won't hear that messaging from the mainstream because how do you monetize that beyond what they've already done with how they've kind of hijacked all these social media platforms and made us into commodities? Because it doesn't make any sense initially. the, The bait and switch, if you told me I could use this platform to connect with my friends, but when I post something, only a percentage of them will see it because you're too busy showing them ads and other things. I mean, come on. How... I mean, if that isn't the poison that is capitalism, I don't know a better example. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Um, Dahlia, switching gears a little bit, you have a book that's going to come out next year. So exciting. Congratulations. We're doing like claps. (laughs) (laughs) Air claps. (laughs) Air claps. Yeah, that's so exciting. Uh, Do you want to share a little bit about what your book is going to be about? We would love to Yes. So I'm super excited about it. It's called Decolonizing Wellness. It's been such a journey because initially I felt like so much fear was coming up for me when it came to speaking the truth about the racism and other issues like fat phobia in the dietetic community. And the person who actually introduced me to the group that we met in was the writing coach that I'd come across. And I was just starting to realize how much I needed community with other folks of color. And they just happened to pop up on some like old site that they didn't even remember, like ever listing themselves (laughs) there. And they, it's funny. I heard this expression before, but she said to make an omelet, you got to crack some eggs. So basically the message that you have is going to ruffle some feathers but this is what needs to be done. And I felt Mm. like that support, I just couldn't imagine that support coming from anyone else. Understanding one, why I was so freaked out and fearful, just understanding intuitively, because Mm -hmm. this is an editor, their work isn't necessarily around supporting folks of color with mindset issues, but just knowing that this is not just something that happens to one or two of us. That fear of being punished or murdered, or fired for actually speaking up against 
the damage or the harm that the dominant culture is doing, it's very real. So I was just so grateful to come across them. And as I started working through some of my story and connecting it to the broader story of how we experience nutrition and dietetics in this culture and how much it isn't capable of liberating us or really supporting our wellness, just the more it felt like, oh, this is just, this has to be said. And at first I thought I would self-publish, but with their encouragement, I pitched it to a publisher. And the very first publisher I pitched it to accepted it and decided to take me on, which may, I took it as the universe wants this message to be out there. It it really is for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so, I don't know if this still happens to you both, but I have this issue where I want my message to reach as many people as possible. And I also mm-hmm. want to remain invisible. I'm like, how can I do these two <laughs> things at the same time? I've, honestly, yes, I feel that. And also I've heard it from other people of color, like that exact thing about like, I don't want my face to be on it, mm-hmm. but I want people to know this thing that I'm sharing. Right. And it's like a lot of like brand and marketing coaches will be like, people connect more to faces and people connect more to people and not necessarily like a logo. So then you feel kind of like obligated to put your face out there. When in reality, like a lot of us don't feel safe doing that. Yeah. It's a real, it's really something that's been difficult to work through and it's been helpful to reach out to other people who've been putting themselves out there for years And even though it wasn't what I wanted to hear, but I just thought, wow, this is so consistent with the reality that is authentic healing. Mm -hmm. Um, They said to me that I know you want to find a way to feel safe while you market your book and your services, but you will never feel safe because you aren't. And (laughs) they said, I just need you to sit with that because there will be retaliation, there will be consequences. Because if you're out there sharing a message that tells people, you actually don't need me. And if you do choose to work with me, yes, I can guide you to a better place more quickly than you could on your own, because we all do that for each other. That's what community does. Mm -hmm. And that's also what coaching does very effectively. Your coach reflects back to you where you are. And reflects back to you your own solutions that you just voiced, but you didn't hear. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you don't need that. You don't have to have that. It's a nice to have. And if it feels right in your body, like I do need a coach right now, or this is where I am. I'm really ready to do that growth at an accelerated rate because I feel like the coaching we received was life changing. We worked with a decolonizing your business coach, a mindset coach for women and femmes of color. And I don't believe I could have grown so quickly on my own, but I do believe that eventually I could get there. And even the coach said, you can't ever be ahead or behind on your journey. Like you're always in it. Mm-hmm. And maybe you're going to take a, a different road, but you're going to get to your destination. Like you cannot mess this up. 
who who loves like taking advantage of people and milking people for all their financial resources? Who wants people to know that? Oh, you are enough. Oh, you can do this on your own. I'm a nice to have. Usually what you do is you focus on people's weaknesses and their fears and you make them feel desperate to work with you. So just shifting gears and trying to focus on a liberatory message, it feels kind of discombobulating even for the coach because you're like, how do I do this? Because the way that business and marketing has been modeled for me has been predatory. So with the book, I I do, I'm very excited about it because it is such a uh, low barrier for people to connect to my messaging and to get to know what liberatory nutrition may look like. So it's focused on queer and trans folks of color, but I think it's going to resonate with everyone who's tired of being told that they're not enough and that the body hierarchy has value. Being told that, you know, white bodies are better than brown bodies, you know, straight hair is better than curly hair. It just, there's so many things that we're told all the time in subtle ways and in really blatant ways. One of the things I mentioned in the book is even the fact that the sidekick in so many movies we grew up watching was a person of color who had no plot of their own, who had no love life of their own. They were only there to support the growth and development of the main white character. And you see this a lot of times too with people in larger bodies. They don't have their own plot. They are just there to be funny and to support and to listen to the thin person's problems. So that may not be overt, like this person's not good enough to find love or they're not interesting enough to be the glamorous center of our attention in this storyline. But that's the message. And you're going to receive that message when you're watching these films as a child. And when you continually see that sort of thing, you're going to internalize that. So that's something I also try to normalize is that we're not wrong for having fallen under the influence of this spell Mm -hmm. because it was everywhere. And to a large extent, it's still everywhere. And when you challenge it, you frequently get a lot of hate and pushback. Only certain people are allowed to challenge it. You even see it with fat activists online. If they push back against people being treated poorly because of their body size, people send them hate mail. People tell them, good luck with your diabetes, all kinds of abusive, ridiculous things. But somebody thin can say exactly the same thing. And they're like, oh my God, you're so nice. The same way the main character in these films gets lauded for having their token diverse friend. Yeah. But that friend can't actually say anything about their own experience. Uh, I'm uh, yeah, I can't wait for your book. I was just listening to you talk. You, you talk with such passion. Like I've always shared that with Valeria too. Like when we knew we, that you were going to be on this podcast, I'm like, I can't wait for this conversation. Like every time I've like sat down with you to like talk about a topic, like you speak with such passion and I can't wait to see you pour that energy into your book. I'm super excited about it. Thanks for giving me a chance to talk about it because I feel like I have to, I'm going to be relying on community for sharing the book with the world and encouraging myself to talk about it because I feel fine. I feel safe when I'm talking to Mm -hmm. safe people. 
Mm-hmm. It's when I'm out there alone that I'm like a chicken. We got you over here. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll be sure to share the information when it's out. Just yes. let us know. We'll be more than happy to to help promote. That's for sure. Uh, thank you. That's a plug for community, everyone. Yeah, yeah. and like plug, we're plug for Dahlia's book and community. Yeah, while we're <laughs> plugging away, is do you want to share how folks can connect with you? How they can work with you if they wish to. <laughs> Yeah, if you have been feeling like you want to know more about intuitive eating, but you're not sure it's for you or what the difference would be with that and dieting, you should visit daliakinsey.com slash links. And there is a quick guide to beating binge eating, which really is linked to all of the things we've been discussing today to start looking at how you can understand your own hunger better and start honoring your hunger and your body. Love that. And for everyone listening, we can put that link in the show notes as well. So you can just get your hands on that guide. Um, Cause that is just so like more people need to know about this for sure. And uh, here at Together Thriving, we like to close things out by asking our guests this question. And it is, what is one thing that makes you feel like you're thriving? Honestly, lately, it's just been relaxing in bed for no reason. Oh, I love that. And that sounds so luxurious. <laughs> yeah, that feels like that's the right word. Luxurious. I love it. Yes. And just really just laying around with my cats. And I got a new fluffy comforter. And I even got a new bed. I went all in. I all, I've i oh, always wow. been a fan of sleep. But I was I like, that. you know what? It's time to go all in. <laughs> and when I'm laying in bed, it's just, it feels great. It feels like this is what my ancestors wanted me to have. More downtime, yeah. more naps. <laughs> yes. And honoring your body with that rest, which we all so need. Absolutely. I love that. Well, thank you so much. This conversation has been amazing. I totally resonate with Sarah. Like when you're talking, Dahlia, I just want to like not say a word because I just want to keep hearing you talk. (laughs) Like it's so like just your passion and everything you say is also so refreshing because it's ideas that like people don't talk about and they need to. Like the world needs to hear this message. So I'm very, very excited. Yeah. And I feel like it's what I think it's what the young me wish I could have heard. Mm. (laughs) So I I hope that you inspire a lot of young people as well with that message so that they can grow up with that empowering sense of like trusting their body. Um, Yeah. That's amazing. So yeah. Thank Thank you. you. It's so encouraging. And thank you for creating a platform for people and being on Together Thriving, it was part of the impetus for me realizing that I wanted to do more public speaking. And I just hadn't realized (laughs) that that was one of my passions. It's another one of those things that I had had devalued for me. And so I didn't believe it was valuable. And so hearing other people who are actually in my target audience say that it's valuable, (laughs) really healing. 
Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, we, we're happy to have you any day. <laughs> yes, definitely. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll end it here for today. So yeah, thanks again for joining. And I hope everyone who's listening enjoyed the conversation as much as we did. Uh, until next time, Together Thriving Fam. Bye. Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Together Thriving Podcast. If you've resonated with this episode, click that subscribe button, leave us a review and share our podcast with your favorite humans to help us get this content out to more women and femmes of color. We're looking for a wellness community where they feel heard and seen. If you'd like to join the Together Thriving fam, head over to our show notes to join our newsletter and stay in the loop for our upcoming community calls and annual summit. You can also find us on Instagram at Together Thriving WOC. Until next time, hasta luego. A bientôt.